Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Only Podcast. I am your co-host, Austin Smith, joined, as always, by your other co-host, John Kirby. You can find us on Twitter at ACSmith06 and at John underscore Kirby. And as always, follow the mothership at The Only Colors. Today is Monday, March 8th. And, John, I don't know if you had the chance, but I went into my closet yesterday and I pulled out my dancing shoes. And I'm actually sitting here polishing them right now, just making sure that they're ready. Because as you, I mean, we saw this coming, right? Well, Austin, I'm kind of embarrassed that you even had them in your closet. It might have been out all year. I, everyone who's been listening to podcasts is well aware that we've been trying to tell all of you for months that it's just a matter of time that this team found their groove and they run in the NCAA tournament. Well, I think that anybody who doubted it should just be embarrassed. I mean, right? Like, if you didn't see this happening, like, you know, maybe, maybe tune in, maybe yeah. pay a little attention, maybe, maybe think about the fact that it's a team led by upperclassmen and mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame head coach that typically tends to pull it together at some point. Like, maybe, you know, maybe just, you know, open your third eye. If only we had had 22 years of data that have. <laughs> <laughs> to show us what might have happened this early March. You if know? only the tenure of our Hall of Fame head coach was old enough to drink, could we have seen this coming? You know, it's 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 a shame that there were so many doubters along this journey. Uh, unbelievable! What a, what a what a weekend! What a week! Holy smokes! Holy smokes! I mean, in case yeah, again, you know. Obviously, we are referring to the fact that Michigan State, uh, last time we talked to you, we were talking about how they are facing a, a difficult uh, kind of a make or break season, you know, week in their year where they had three games coming up, one against Bubble, uh, somebody that's very much on the same side, of the, was at the time on the same side of the bubble in Indiana, and then two games against the number two team in the country, rival Michigan team that had, uh, you know, been killing people all year. Um and it was, you know, I think I think realistically we were all hoping let's just take beat Indiana and hope for the best after that. And and John, I guess we could start there. Uh, that was one of the worst basketball games I've ever watched with my own two eyes. How about you? I'll be honest with you. I proposed what if both teams got a win and a loss, and we just <laughs> hauled it at halftime and just like let's walk away from this. It was uh, truly miserable basketball. Um, I will say that this was the game where the best player on the floor just gutted out the win for his team. And yeah. Aaron Henry was the best player on both teams. And and he rose to the occasion, and the best player on Indiana's team crumbled. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis um, let – I don't know what factors exactly they were, but outside factors get to him. Um, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of spazzing. Yeah. And it's just not something like, I think that speaks to, you know, it's funny because I kind of made this joke a few times this week of, you know, somehow the basketball breakdown tweet resurfaced where it was, um, when his oh, screamed at Aaron Henry way back when, I think it was right after this game. And, Yep. You know, everyone's like, I can't wait for this era of yelling coaches to die out. And it's like, you know what? Every once in a while, not even every once in a while, pretty much all the time, like it, 
that will keep you from having a player completely and totally lose their composure. If you put them through the pressure cooker every single day and you're used to those moments and you have a coach who's been there and done that so many times, like that's, that's what allows that to not happen. And do you get Aaron Henry stepping up and just simply, simply willing his team to win that game, as opposed to, to your point, Trace Jackson Davis, just sort of crumbling in the moment and letting the pressure and the whistles and all of that stuff kind of, kind of get to him. You, you, you see why those two teams are where they are. Programs, I should say. In Austin, blaming his teammates openly, yelling, infighting. And not the infighting you've seen on MSU's benches. And I want to be very clear, there's a distinction. Yelling at each other, and you do it all the time, um, it means that it's going to blow over. Because you know what it means. If you never do it and you're blowing up at each other, people get their feelings. And Indiana got in their feelings. Archie Miller allegedly was the head coach. I don't know what he did the entire game beyond have an amazing um, vantage point to the back to the game. He didn't know coaching. He he watched an absolutely gassed Michigan State team outgut his team, which, if you're an Indiana fan, has to just be like unacceptable. Like, <laughs> and and you know the better team won, the better program won, the better coach won. And, you know, you move on and Indiana is in a purgatory of their own now in Michigan State on the rise as they head into a weekend with Michigan, as we talked about last week, on fumes. Yeah. I mean, you saw it in the Indiana game. I think that that really, like I said, truly one of the least aesthetically appealing games. Like if you're an NBA fan and you're like, the NBA is my sport and I, that's what I do, that game probably disgusted you like just legitimately like made people ill because it was just so ugly and just everyone was gassed I think on both sides but especially Michigan State I mean that was like their six what I think it was six game in 12 days or something you know of that like maybe that was the fifth game in 10 days you know and and I just think that the heart that they showed was something that I don't necessarily know you know before they played Illinois I don't think anybody saw that type of effort and heart and grit and determination, you know, happening. And that can make a huge difference in a game. And then, you know, that was an essential win. And then you kind of got into, like you said, the weekend series of Michigan, where, you know, if you're looking at it in a vacuum, I mean, obviously you want to beat your rival, but this is a team that's been cruising all season. I don't think anybody would have come out of the weekend feeling any differently about MSU's tournament hopes had they lost both games to U of M, but to, to backtrack a little bit, they beat Indiana. They look absolutely shot and then have one night off and then get on the bus and drive down to Ann Arbor to play a team that had just gotten embarrassed really for the first time in the entire season. They get embarrassed on their home floor against Illinois with the chance to win the conference that night. Without um, the best player in Austin. Illinois without their best player in Iowa DeSumo. Yeah. So, which was, this was the first time all year where you kind of looked at Michigan and you're like, whoa, there's a mortal side here. This is still just a group of guys. And because every other time they had been challenged with the exception of the one game against Minnesota, which I think every team gets, you know, one you can write off throughout the year. That's kind of your write off game. This is the first time you're kind of like, Oh, wait a minute. There's, there are some glitches here. There's some things we can take advantage of. Now you get a team that's been so successful and then goes through that experience. If they're well coached, which I think Michigan is, um, they're going to respond. And that's exactly what they did against MSU. I mean, they, they, I would, I got to give Michigan state credit though, because they fought really, really, really hard in that first half. And they just couldn't get out of their own way a couple of times. Like it was just a lack of sharpness. It was, it was Michigan shooting the lights out, to be honest with you. And just like a bad set of circumstances, the first half, they kind of kept it close. Second half, Michigan just pulled away. MSU was just completely and, and, and totally shot. So I'm not, surprised at all that game didn't surprise me one bit to be honest yeah and you know i think that game was like an encapsulation of where both programs maybe were at this season though like Mm -hmm. take take out you know the everyone's tired bit you know which which is can be true but also that team looked way better than our team like yeah it objectively was a better team and you saw Michigan State go 0 for 9 from 3, absolutely no legs, which 
to their credit, didn't shoot that many from three because somebody got in their head, hopefully one of the coaches, and said, you guys can't shoot threes this game. It's just not happening. Right. Like, you're not going to make them. And they didn't. And it was the first time since I think, 2013 since Michigan State didn't hit a three in a game. Well, that's going right. to happen when it's your sixth game in 13 days. Well, what does Michigan State do differently, right? Like, you you get got. Like, you lost by 19. You did play hard, but, like, there are no moral victories for this program. Like, right. Losing to your rival by 19 is never going to be okay, regardless of circumstances. It's just that's the standard that the program and has held itself to. So fast forward two days of rest, which <laughs> felt an eternity like, for this an eternity team. for exactly. <laughs> and and then something something happened where Michigan, is, who play, finished the season with 17 Big Ten games. They they in the last uh, handful of day two weeks had played many games as well, not five in uh, uh, I believe eleven or twelve days. So they were approaching the same level of hitting the wall as Michigan State was, and they play way less guys than um, Michigan State's rotation. Uh, yes, they're quite a bit more impactful. But but you saw that maybe that was hit help that helped them Michigan State that they hit a wall of sorts as well. But the big storyline in the first five minutes of the game was one of those key cogs that plays over 30 minutes a game every night. Eli Brooks um, went down with a, what looked to be a gnarly ankle injury. I don't think we have word on how long he'll be out, but mm-hmm. did not look good. And yeah. and that changes every like one. A team, Michigan is a good team. They're 19 and three. They are 19 and one when Eli Brooks is healthy. And I'm not saying Eli Brooks is the best player on their team. I'm saying that you mess with that rotation and they they couldn't adjust. That's what happened. Well, I think in college basketball, even more than, you know, professional basketball or anything like that, those rotations, especially when you're running a tight rotation, depth really matters because like to your point, it's not necessarily like you're dropping off from like a really good player to another guy who's still in the NBA. Like that's still a pretty damn good player. Like, you could be, you're dropping off in this case from a senior guy who's played a ton of minutes for four years. I still think he's the most swaggerless player on the planet, but Mm-hmm. has played a ton of basketball, is a good defender, can shoot the ball well, like he he's, he's, he's a perfect fit for what they need. And you're going from him down to Zeb Jackson, who has almost literally no experience, yeah. is not the shooter that he is. And really you, and again, to your point, like, I don't, I don't even know if Eli Brooks is the fourth best player on that team. Nope. I mean, truly, I think he might be the member of the starting five who is he's the fifth member. But like you said, you lose that one little gear uh, and, and things can really go awry, especially for them, like a team that is predicated on being really well coached. I mean, that is probably their biggest strength is they're really well coached and they have several guys who can really shoot the ball when he's out there. They can be a true four out one in, you know, offensively, really difficult to deal with type of team because Mike Smith, Franz Wagner, Livers and Brooks can all really shoot it. And Dickinson can obviously go one-on-one with just about any, looks like just about any big in college basketball right now. So offensively, that makes for a really, really dynamic team. And like you said, you, you take away one of those plus shooters and you got somebody else standing out there now, it makes things tough. And it, it really opens up a lot of areas to, to be exploited. Um, and I think you saw Michigan State really, really take advantage of that um, in a couple you know different ways. I think you had by far the best game of Rocket Watts this season. And yep. something that, again, we have been <laughs> as critical of Rocket as probably anybody out there, but he, he just played out of his mind. I mean, he saw a big moment and he stepped up and he answered it. And I mean, I kept finding myself throughout this entire game being like, where has this decisive, like assertive, like making jump shots Rocket Watts been like, he was going to the rack. He was getting to open spots on the floor and pulling up from the free throw line. Like this is the stuff that we saw at the end of last year. Like this is the guy that I think everybody was expecting to to play night in and night out. And 
listen, it's it's late, but letter, better late than never. I mean, he might have just he just helped Michigan State probably punch their ticket to the dance, and you know they have a chance to listen. They they've gone toe to toe with three top five teams, legitimate top five teams, teams that you will see two of them on the one line and one of them on the two line. Like they, you just beat those three teams in the last uh, handful of handful of weeks. I mean, it, it's pretty impressive what you know MSU has accomplished and what a good Rocket Watts could could do for them. But this game, I mean, say, I think rocket was absolutely a standout. Joey Hauser, I thought played really still can't defend anybody can't defend a soul, but he offensively, I thought was just, again, more decisive was assertive, made a couple really nice moves in the post. He's been getting the ball in the post a little bit more recently, which I think is a good development for his game. Uh, in, the, in terms of the way MSU utilizes him, thought that was great. And then, I mean, Henry made huge baskets, but really, the one I want to call out is Josh Langford. The mm-hmm. three that he hit, where Michigan had cut the lead all the way down to two, with I think right around a minute left, to come down the floor and just can a three that, for all intents and purposes, put the game to bed, or at least made you take the first deep breath in about an hour, um, was huge. For him to do that on on senior night, you know, uh, what will probably be his last game playing in, in the Breslin, to beat Michigan, to punch their ticket, I mean – what a what an awesome moment. And now all of a sudden we're sitting here in March with a battle tested and hot Michigan State team that seems to have found their identity of being a rock fight type of team. And again, not to get ahead of ourselves, but you know, all of the doubts and everything that we've said for the longest time, the disappointments that I know I personally have expressed with the coaching staff, oh, what a difference two weeks can make when you figure out, okay, these are the guys we got to go to. Here's the way we got to play to win. It's a revelation. I wish they would have had a lot earlier in the season, (laughs) obviously, but sitting here today, it it just teaches you never to doubt what they've got. Well, we talked all year about identity and they didn't have one. And the identity that they created for themselves near the mid February was we might not be as good as the other team, but we're not going to get out tough. And you can be really proud of that as a fan, as a program, as a, you know, a fan of Michigan State, as a, as an alum, you can be proud of that, that these guys never backed down and had every reason to. And, yep. and, and Aaron Henry, um, what we watched in these past seven games is one of the more gutty things I think you'll probably ever see. And it will go overlooked because this team is not as good as past Izzo teams. Aaron Henry's played more minutes than anyone in college basketball since February 20th. Wow. Every single player in college basketball, he's played more minutes than all of them. And he never blinked. You never saw him blink. You never saw him complain. Because that's what, what do people do when they get tired? You complain. You never complained. And you saw other guys rally around that. You know, he's not going to be a, the type of leader that, you know, maybe everyone wanted him to be. He just isn't that way. But you want to talk about leading by example? That's, that is the epitome of, <laughs> of leading by example. Just, just doing your job and not complaining, guarding everyone's best player, taking the tough shots, playing every minute because you have to. And you saw, you know, in these, these big wins, other guys rallied around that. And that's the most encouraging thing is, it's one thing to ride a guy. You ride a guy that it, it's very rare that you, you see a Kemba Walker performance all the way to the front. Right. You need guys. And, and you know, is this the one that makes Rocket Watts turn the page? You hope. I think another encouraging thing, A.J. Hogard got benched in the first half. And what do you see him do the moment he gets to the locker room? Tweeting about how awesome Rocket Watts is. Yeah. Not complaining. Thank God. Right. That is the, the type of, you know, team that I guess you had. They don't hang their heads and they, they're just rallying around each other. And they might not be the best or the most talented, but at the very least, they're out. They out-rebounded Michigan. A very good rebound. Yeah. You saw you saw a couple – things got tough for Michigan. And what did they do? You saw Hunter Dickinson and Franz Wagner get very, very whiny. A lot of point, finger pointing. Not my fault. Refs calling it too hard. Hey, play through it. Play through the game. They couldn't do that. 
that's the difference between these teams in that game. And I think you can be proud of that. Um, it's going to get rough if Michigan State has to play in a tightly contested game with maybe a Bo Borowski. But that's where <laughs> that's where you in, in, that's where you introduce the depth, and you kind of hope that your eleven deep lineup and eleven deep might have become twelve deep. Austin um, yeah. <laughs> Lawyer is now out. Insert one Jack Hoiberg. Oh my God. <laughs> Hoiberg hours were very real, but you had a point. I mean, listen, they, the numbers don't lie. Okay. The numbers don't lie. Jack Hoiberg, I think ended up a plus 10 in this game. Was it? Yeah. Box, box plus minus it and everything. But when you play seven minutes and you're plus 10, that's a thing. I don't know. <laughs> it's how. Something. I don't know why. <laughs> no one will ever know. Uh, he got, should have been a plus 13. Terrible, terrible dig down and inability to to recover on a three-pointer on the only guy you can't leave alone. Yeah. <laughs> so should have been a plus 13. But beggars can't be choosers. Can I can I give you one one favorite thing and I'm gonna pose a question to you? Yes, please do. <laughs> Aaron Henry gets a man board in the se- mid-second half. Hoiberg's on the court. Hoiberg is allegedly the point guard for this rotation. And he comes back for the ball, and Henry literally waves him away. He's like, hey, bud, that's cool. I'm pumped you're out here. It's awesome you are trying your best. Here's what's not going to happen. You getting the ball. Like, this is, this is the Aaron Henry show <laughs> moving forward. Okay, pal? Um, and it wasn't like a, a jerk thing, but it was just sort of like Aaron Henry was like, yeah. I don't yeah. know about that. Yeah, so <laughs> about that. Yeah, no. I mean, <laughs> I, I, again, I'm with you. I respect Jack's. Uh, I, it's a nice gesture. Okay, listen, we, we appreciate it. We love what you're going for. You know the role. Technically, this is what you're supposed to be doing. But, you know, it, 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 it's Aaron time. It's not It's not Hoiberg hours. Listen, we get to the last four minutes in a blowout against Nebraska. Jack, I want you shooting. It's Hoiberg hours. It is Hoiberg season. But (laughs) for now, in a tight one against Michigan, when you're out there and everyone is just holding their collective breath, uh, we're going to let Aaron take this one. And I got to say, I got to say, though, I got to say, like, Hoiberg didn't, he didn't look shook. Didn't blink. Which was, I I think, something. You know who did blink? You know know who did blink? Zeb Jackson. Sure did. You know, also blinked is is Juwan Howard. I mean, again, I think Ooh, that's we, what I was going to ask you, Austin. Yeah, well, go ahead, ask. Let's hear. Okay. Let's hear it. John Howard can be the coach of the year. That can be true, and you can also openly question what happened that you wouldn't, in eight defensive, eight plus defensive possessions, take advantage of the fact that a five ten former walk on is on the court. Yeah, I mean, I think this is where that Eli Brooks injury really, really came to play, Um, you know, because had he been out there, I think they probably would have been a little bit more aggressive and and gone after him a little bit more. But, uh, you know, listen, I I still think it's inexcusable. I mean, if you see Jack Hoiberg out there, someone, be be it Howard, be it one of the assistants, somebody's got to step up and be like, listen, this is – not a guy we see on the floor. We need to go roll at after. Well, right, exactly. Screen him. Do do something. For, force their hand. I mean, it doesn't have to be Hoiberg's man that's the one scoring, but like involve him in the play. I mean, for the most part, they just set Zeb Jackson over in the corner. Yeah. And you just you let these other four guys handle it. And uh, I mean, it was a ballsy move by by Izzo to 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 do that, but uh, to to put Hoiberg out there as kind of the counter, but. Well, he- he had no reason not to, because if Howard's not going to take advantage of it, you can see Izzo No, he had no reason to take him off the floor, but to put Sorry. him out there in the first place was a ballsy, a ballsy no. move. But but then the fact that there was no counter move to it because he's buying minutes by putting Hoiberg, Hoiberg in because he's decided that A.J. Hogard is just not capable of playing today. Yeah, and, it wasn't his thing. And he earned that bench by... Two back-to-back plays that were just unacceptable, and you know, there was still it was still teaching time for Tom and and put Jack in for AJ, and 
you could just see Tom like turn around to his assistants and like, dude, if they're not gonna take advantage of Jack, then like let's keep stealing. Like whatever. Uh, <laughs> like wow, what is happening here? Yeah, uh, I, I mean, listen, it, whatever you need to do, I think that's your sign that it might just kind of be your day is <laughs> when one of those one of those things happens. But um, I mean, at the end of the day, MSU, uh, you know, it was this weird thing over the last two weeks. I've developed this sense of when the game is kind of close and it's the last five or six minutes, mm-hmm. I have this weird sense of confidence in this team. And I think that because it's weird it's really weird but they've i mean think about it against illinois they had to do it against ohio state they had to do it against indiana they had to do it against michigan they had to do it where they are in crunch time and they had to make big plays like you had to make winning time and and they just grinded these games out made some big threes i mean again we already talked about that aaron henry is just taking the game into his own hands i mean Listen, again, this team is is not a vintage MSU team, but I think it's something that speaks to the character of the team and the program that they've decided, you know, we know what's coming. These are big, big minutes. Like, we got to go get the job done. And not only to feel that way as a program, but to feel that way in in the immediate aftermath of, of a 10 and nine start to your season, like to, to be able to pick yourself up and say, all right, we got, we have a gauntlet down the stretch here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we need to we need to win these games to get in and uh, to be able to execute on it is crazy. And I think it's kind of it's almost wild now, like knowing that you feel pretty good about their chances to get in. I mean, at this point, it'd be a shock if they I mean, they're going to get in for all intents and purposes. But to look back now, I don't think any I don't think I personally realized just how how bad it really was there at 10 and 9. I mean. They, they needed to do all of these things that they just did, which everyone's applauding them for and are like honestly incredible just to get in and probably yep. still be a double digit seed. Like it, it, it it's well, impressive. It's, it, it's impressive considering what they went through before. Austin, I don't think you could, anybody could make a case at that when they were 10 and nine, that MSU could, there was a way for MSU to be comp- to be in regardless of big 10 tournament result. That's insane. Yeah, I mean, I I agree. I mean, they yeah. were they were you got to be the auto bid to get in for a while. Well, there. it was always predicated on you at least have to win two or three games in the Big Ten tournament. Right. Like that was because there's no way they're going to be three top five teams down the stretch. Um, I mean, they weren't even out of the Wednesday games until like a week ago. I know. <laughs> here's here's one more small thing that I just want to capture. Because we did talk about in the first game against Michigan, MSU kept it close and they did the thing that you have to do when you are gassed or not as good as the other team, which is just hang, just hang around. Just just be down by enough that not enough that it, where the other team looks up at the scoreboard and is like, how are we only up by this much? They did that for a while until the second half when there was a 50-50 loose ball. Oh, yeah. And Rocket Watts bent over for it and hunter dickinson dove for it and michigan out toughed michigan state not just in that play but that was an encapsulation of the second half the game and they got the ball franz wagner hits a three they go that ignites a 10 to nothing run and the game's done right and rocket watts sits for the rest of the game because specifically of that as he should and he talked about after this game in his best performance at Michigan State to date, that that play was something that he was not, everyone was disappointed in him and he was disappointed in himself, which is, I mean, it's good. Exactly what you want to hear. <laughs> and, and, and yes, he had 21 points eight, on eight of 16 shots, four of which were like incredible, difficult level. And, but the stat I want to point at is that he tied his season high for rebounds with four. Mm-hmm. He never hunted for the ball. He is always the guy that is near half court, you know, waiting for the outlet. Did never want to yep. mix it up all year. Hates contact. And this game, I don't know if he challenged himself or somebody challenged him to get to be a bit more aggressive in that area. And that entered him into the flow of the game a bit more. 
and that would for me was the game changer. Yeah, I mean, I think the other the other thing he did was he got to the free throw line. I mean, this team, as soon as they embraced playing ugly, it has shown in that you've got guys crashing the glass and getting to the free throw line, and you need those easy points. You need to get best players from other teams off the court when you are the less talented, less skilled version of uh, you know your usual selves. And uh, I thought they did that twice against Hunter Dickinson. I know his first game, you know, he ended up, I think, with like 14 and 10, but truly wasn't like an impact. I didn't I didn't feel like he was this impactful, dominant force that people have, have made him out to be. And then he was uh, really until the very end of Sunday's game was not all that effective. So, well, um, well he dominated. He, he Michigan footballed it. He beat mm-hmm. he did better and dominated against guys that he should have. Right. He did that against Thomas Kithier. <laughs> Correct. Which, if it had been any other way, I think he would have gotten kicked off the team. Or he would have deserved to get kicked Tom, off the team. But Thomas Kithier didn't play a minute in the second game. No, in each, I mean, that's fine. I don't think anyone's upset about that. It's cr- I mean, again, point. we're not here to, like, disparage players or anything like that. That's but one it. of – no, go ahead. No, that's not it. It's not – it's like – you, he, Thomas Kithier was put in an unfair position. He's five right. inches shorter. He weighs 40 pounds less. He can't succeed. It's just not going to happen. He, that's the wrong matchup for him. It's the right matchup for Hunter Dickinson, who had seven points and three possessions against right. him. Well, you know what we shouldn't do anymore? That. And so <laughs> they, they didn't. And, it, and, you know, Bingham played a hell of a game. We, we, we have to... Yeah, I think let, let me step in here. I think it's time for me to have my mea culpa on Marcus Bingham because I was I have been his biggest, probably the biggest critic because there's just so much there and none of it was consistently executed. Like not, none of his promise had been fulfilled. And he has managed while probably well, definitely still not living up to his overall ability. He has managed to become easily Michigan State's best big. Easily. I mean, what he can do defensively is is real. I mean, even though he's kind of a string bean, he we talked about it so many times. He at least has the length uh, and kind of like that natural instinct to block shots that can change a game. I mean, that can that can shut down what is perceived to be one of the two or three best freshmen in the entire country. And I and maybe not shut him down, but neutralize him at the at the very least. I mean, you saw him give Luca Garza trouble. I mean, you saw him give Kofi Coburn a lot trouble i mean this is it's not like these are you know scrubs that he's doing well against these are some of the best big men in the country um and he has become at least on the defensive end a much more uh impactful player um offensively i still think he has a ton of potential and a lot of room to grow and i'm actually you know at one point this season i was thinking he was going to transfer because he just wasn't getting the job done he seemed defeated but i think he's carved out the role as the starting five um probably a next year's team i would imagine um and you know now you can kind of spin that fairy tale in your head again of getting really excited about what marcus bingham could be long term but like if nothing else if he is just this for the rest Mm -hmm. of his professional basketball career that's something and especially at michigan state with the team constructed the way that it is and what they need not only this year but next like that that's a that's a big deal so he has answered the call and I mean, he made a couple of big plays and he had a couple of big dunks, some blocks, rebounds, um, made some free throws down the stretch. I mean, really was was a big part of the reason why this team has turned things around. It's, it's um, been one of the silent, weird, biggest things. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I mean, but not having all net negatives on and at the five is a big deal. <laughs> having, you know having some plus players at, at the center position is, is nice. If only we had 22 years of data of people emerging at the best time of the year. Uh, I mean, listen, is it our fault? Who among us hasn't doubted a Hall of Fame coach and questioned whether he should be firing assistants? Who hasn't done such a thing? That's what I ask. Man, do you want to take a break and then we'll come back with a Big Ten tournament preview and then actually a little bit of football news? Mm. Yes, let's do it. All right. Three, two, one. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Then we're back. John, for the first time uh-huh. since 2019, the mm-hmm. last decade, we're going to get a Michigan State Big Ten tournament game. The last time you saw Michigan State playing in the Big Ten tournament, they were beating those very same Wolverines here in Chicago oh. in the Big Ten championship game. People Fun forget. memories. People forget that did happen. Hey, that was the third time that season, second championship they won against them. Not a big deal. Uh, okay, anyways, um, the first game – of MSU's 2021 Big Ten tournament journey is going to come against the last team to beat them. Well, no, it's not. The last non-Michigan team to beat them uh, <laughs> in Maryland. Maryland. A funny Interesting. Team. A funny team. They can't... Here, here's something about Maryland. They were picked to be bad in the conference. They mm-hmm. were better than that. But they are also 15 and 12 and 9 and 11 in the conference. And I think the difference in these programs right now is since we last saw Maryland, they put a drubbing on Michigan State. Again, you can talk about legs, whatever you want to do. They had six days off. Michigan State had one. And it was pretty obvious the result that was going to happen um, when you were traveling to College Park to play that game. Fast forward, uh, you know, two weeks later, Maryland's lost their last two games. And not to good teams. They lost yeah. to Northwestern. And then they lost to Penn State. And they didn't just lose to Penn State. They were up by 16 against Penn State yesterday. And blew it. Blew that game. Crumbled down the stretch. And, again, Penn State, not awesome. Let's not, you know, they are not <laughs> that great. And they blew it. And, and with that, fell to the eighth seed. And they're safely in the tournament, but a lot more question marks for them than Michigan State, I guess, as as it relates to how teams are mm-hmm. feeling about themselves going into this game. You know, Maryland's resume—it's almost like the inverse of Michigan State's, where they had they they have some very good wins on their resume. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Illinois. They beat. Purdue. I mean, they've got some nice wins on there, but when you really dig into it and really think about the timing of it, mm-hmm. um, their most impressive win, their two most impressive wins, both came quite some time ago, and that was on the road at then number six, Wisconsin, and on the road at then number 12, Illinois. Um, the fact that Wisconsin was number six tells you exactly how long ago it was because they are not that good. Uh, I think we've seen that. Um, Illinois, the wins there is still pretty damn good. But since then, their their games against ranked opponents are not all that exciting. I mean, we'll just go in order here. Lost by 24 on the road at Michigan. Uh, their last ranked, or, or one of their ranked wins is at number 17, Minnesota. We've all seen how that's panned out. Yeah. And they lost at home to Wisconsin. They did beat Purdue uh, at home. And then they lost to Ohio State. So their best wins are way in the rear view. And then the other quote unquote ranked wins are against like Minnesota is against Minnesota. Like to me, that's not all that exciting. I look at the resume and the one that stands out to me is that that win against uh, Purdue is a nice win. Like that, that's nice. Purdue's playing really well right now. Um, mm-hmm. But then, like you said, I mean, they, they went on this little four game wins, excuse me, four, five game win streak against Minnesota, Nebraska, Nebraska, Rutgers, and Michigan State when, you know, with all the legs and everything else. And then they turn around and lose those last two. I think Maryland is a flawed team. And I think that they're lucky they got those wins when they did, because if they hadn't, uh, I mean, they might find themselves on the outside looking and they're right kind of in that same bubble area as Michigan State. Um, and honestly, you know, if we, as we talk more about this specific matchup, um, it's really not a bad matchup for, for Michigan state. I I think when they played before, one of the interesting things about Maryland is two things. First, they play a really tight rotation 
kind of the same way Michigan does, where they really only go uh, six, call it, you know, six and a half deep. Um, and none of their guys are tall. And we, we saw it out there. The same height. They're interchangeable. Right. They're, they are a bad version of Florida State. Right. <laughs> a short version of Florida State. It was like where they're uh, in the same position and yeah. do the same thing. Right. And and I think you just you saw a team that had six days off that shot the lights out against Michigan State and, um, you know, just kind of did, you know, they just executed. Michigan State just didn't execute uh, in, in that game. But I think a rematch with a handful of days to rest and MSU kind of riding a bit of a more positive uh, vibe is really going to benefit them. I think the really interesting thing when you dive into like, what is this going to look like on the floor is going to be if MSU, to see if Michigan State does the same things with their bigs that they did in the last game. I mean, I think the big that played the most minutes was Julius Marble, and he played like six minutes in that game. Yep. They went, they matched Maryland going full small ball. And I think right now that isn't necessarily in MSU's best interest. To me, I, I think there's more value in having either Julius Marble or uh, Marcus Bingham uh, on the floor instead of call it like a Malik Hall, who I think saw a lot of minutes in, in this game previously. So um, even if they go super small, I still like the way Michigan State matches up. I mean, I think Maryland shot like 60% from three in that game. You know, uh, good luck doing that again. This is a team that shoots not even 36% from three as a team on the season. Yep. Shoot 70% from the free throw line. This is not a good shooting team. You caught them on a bad night. You caught them with Michigan State not even having great legs. And people forget about that game. You look at the back score at the end and, and you're like, wow, this really got away from MSU. That was a five point game with five minutes left. And Michigan State not playing well. They rock fight. You know, they, they fought their way back into that one. And I think the way they're going right now versus the way Maryland's going right now, um, this matchup, I mean, again, we've seen enough from this team this season that they could screw up easy situations. But I would think if you look at the last two weeks or so of data um, and the kind of the way these two teams are trending, this isn't a bad matchup for, for MSU. Yeah, if you're going to play a big, then you need to use them. Right. Like if you're going to play Marble or Bingham here, then you need to make them a part of the offense so that they can contribute. Otherwise it's just going to be a bad matchup on the defensive end. Will pull them, pull them out to the three point line, you know, and you can't take advantage of Bingham's you know, defensive capabilities. Like, so if you're going to do it, that's what Maryland, you know, they're saying, <laughs> that's what Maryland does. They play small ball and crab cakes and football. And what are you going to do? with your big to take advantage of that that it, there needs to be an emphasis placed on the five if they're going to play um you mentioned also uh maryland kind of gutting it down the stretch there's only one player that has really played i guess you could say consistently well and that's uh wiggins and he is kind of pulling an aaron henry light performance without all the <laughs> without all of the wins uh, in it, but statistically he's done quite well down the stretch and outside of him, you don't, you don't look around and you say, okay, is, is, is Dante Scott going to be the guy, you know, is Eric Ayala going to show back up? Um, they certainly have a couple guys who could do it just lately. You, you wish you would have seen somebody else step up in very winnable games like those that Northwestern and Penn state losses should be very jarring if you're a Maryland mm -hmm. fan. That can't happen. This team isn't good, but they're certainly better than those teams. And, um, you know, being swept by Penn State on the year, it's never a good look. So, yeah. so Maryland's going to come in refocused, you know, you'd think, or at the very least uh, <laughs> looking within themselves to say, you know, who are we? Whereas Michigan State's going to have to make a choice. Um, you know, Rocket Watts, the it's a double-edged sword. Rocket Watts can get going in a hurry. And we've also seen Rocket Watts not get going in a hurry. Is the offense still predicated through running through Aaron Henry? Probably, especially on four days rest, three days rest, you'd hope. Um, and the shots need to come to Rocket, in my opinion. Like the game needs to come to him. And the way he does that is he has to interject himself in the other parts of the game. 
um, to continue to stay engaged on defense. There were two possessions on defense where Rocket either was just disinterested or too tired to um, play face up on Mike Smith and just got burned to the basket. And you're like, okay, same old Rocket. And he came back and redeemed himself on the offensive end. Not a lot of time for that here. This is the postseason. You get two guaranteed games left. Yep. This is where we're at now. Two left. What are you going to do with them? And I think you need to ride the horse that got you there. Aaron Henry has got to run through him. And then you hope that Josh and Rocket um, are able to supplement and contribute with. And then you hope for the uh, the Joey Hauser, Gabe Brown uh, yeah. bonus fund. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the you're completely right. I mean, the recipe that's worked for this team has been on offense. Things run through Aaron Henry and Josh Langford. And those have been the two guys that have been able to, you know, the straws that have stirred the drink thus far. I mean, obviously Rocket coming up and having a huge game on Sunday was was enormous. But I, I don't think that necessarily changes the way you approach things uh, from an offensive standpoint, like you were, like you were saying. I mean, he, if he's going to be the leader of the offense for the second unit, him and Joey, and on the first it's, it's Henry and Langford, and then they kind sure. of meld the two together down the stretch. Great. I think we would all welcome having a true driver on that second unit, but um, you're right. You don't want to let one game change the recipe for what's gotten you to this point. And um, I don't, I, I think Tom is too good of a coach at this point to, to let that happen. But um, like you said, only two games left. I think this first one against Maryland is actually pretty Pretty decent matchup, all things considered, and all the, of all the draws they could have gotten. I mean, Rutgers, I think, wouldn't have been a terrible draw. It really came down to those two. But um, MSU ending up in a decent decent spot here. And then if they are able to get past uh, Maryland, they we're looking at a, a third game against Michigan. Um, who knows? I think that one is that that one to me seems like probably the second steepest hill to climb of the three games, the three matchups. I mean, I think the, the, the first time, you know, it kind of saw it coming. Uh, th- this one is, is closer to that than it is the last game of the season, just because, you know, Michigan's going to have revenge on their minds. They want to win this tournament. Um, you know, I'm sure will be on their second game in two days. Uh, a lot of things are going to stack up against them. I mean, obviously, listen, if, if they get the chance to win that game, um, you know, that could even just help their seeding even more. But I think it brings us to an interesting uh, an interesting kind of question in a way of like, you know, we've got a couple of, of different scenarios for where MSU could end up seed-wise. But is there one in particular, like a certain seed, John, that you're hoping to see them end up getting? Yeah, for me, you know, beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> <laughs> True. But, you know, if if the uh, you know, the options are out there, you you got to feel pretty good about the 7-10 game. However, however you get to that on either side. <laughs> um, right. It's a 7 because you're playing a weaker opponent. But but realistically, it's more likely MSU um, being a 10 seed. Um, you know, how do you get to a 10 seed before we talk about what that could mean? I think you have you, you probably have to beat Maryland t- to be in the yeah. 10 line. I think you lose to Maryland, you're in the 11 line, and there's a pretty good chance you're not playing in the first four, but certainly on the table. You know, I, I don't know. I candidly can't tell you how the NCAA tournament committee is evaluating resumes right now, because if it's not the net, which is good for Michigan State, I don't know what they're doing instead of that. Um, as we talked about in past podcasts, the net is being considered, but the NCAA tournament committee understands that it's flawed with with so many um games that weren't played. So put that aside. I don't know. I think you can say to yourself confidently that win or lose Michigan state is, or excuse me, lose Michigan state's in can't see. I truly can't see a scenario where they lose to Maryland and they're out. It's, it's a matter of, are they in the first four games or are they in, um, you know, the normal, I guess you call it tournament. You beat Maryland. And now you get to talk about is a 10 seed in play, you know, and you, let's say they lose to Michigan. The 10 seed becomes in play, and then you can start to feel a bit better about your your matchups because there are some six seeds that I don't think MSU wants any part of. And mm-hmm. there are between teams that haven't hit their potential yet, like Tennessee, that are just – they have every reason to be Final Four bound or a first-round exit, nowhere in between. And then you have, like, Oklahoma, who's just been – 
tough this year. Um, Clemson, who's quietly had a very nice season in the, a weak ACC. I think those 6-11 matchups, those are, again, beggars can't be choosers, but I don't feel great about them. You get to 7-10s and you start to feel a lot better about where things might might um, roll out. Now you're playing teams like BYU or Missouri, and you're like, they, they walk on the floor and they see Michigan State and they're like, shit. Right. right. <laughs> we have that going for us. So for me, it's a seven ten. But um, and I guess I, let me just finish out the scenarios. Unlikely, however unlikely they may be. But if MSU were to beat Maryland and then Michigan, regardless of who they lose to, which would most likely be Ohio State or Purdue, if they were to lose that game. A nine seed is very much in play. Like you, you, you've mm-hmm. not beaten uh, four top five teams in the past out of the past <laughs> like, like three weeks yeah yeah like you you get to you are you are very comfortably a nine seed potentially even eight because of of name recognition uh and but but i don't think austin we want that because no because the one seeds are very comfortably at this point regardless of conference tournament gonzaga baylor michigan and illinois and it can't there's a very low chance that the NCAA tournament committee would pit, pit Big Ten uh, matchup in the second round if they can help it. So, and you're definitely not going to see an MSU versus Michigan second round game potential, right? And or Illinois, frankly, if they can help it. So that really only leaves Gonzaga and Baylor, and those are not those are buzz saws. That is bad. Yeah, I mean, those, those are the two, unquestionably, the two best teams in college basketball. And I think that we've seen that there is a tier between them and everybody else. Maybe it's a half tier, however you want to describe it. But, I mean, you're talking about oh, oh yeah. unquestionably the two best teams. Oh, yeah. So, you know, not to say if there's a silver lining to beating Maryland and then if you were to lose the Michigan game, there's your silver lining because if you beat Maryland and then Michigan, you, you're on the eight nine line, and it's pretty yeah. clear who your second round opponent, if you were to win the first round, would be. Um, let's say they beat Ohio State or Purdue. Now we're getting crazy, and and they advance to the Big Ten championship game, which would probably be against Iowa or Illinois. If you lose that game, if you get that far, now you're back on the seven seed. Yeah, because you're on the other side. Now, yeah. And and let's get truly crazy. If you were to win the Big Ten tournament, which would just be insane. Insane. (laughs) But if you were to do it while we're doing scenarios, MSU is very comfortably a six seed at that point. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we we need to reel ourselves in a little bit. (laughs) But I I, I don't even think it's. Yeah. I bring up the six seed because at the beginning of this year, I think that's where. I want to say we pegged this team at is a six. Yeah. I think I had them between a four and a six and obviously yeah. not, not, not a great, I mean, that's the analysis you all hey, come here. This for, is how we get here. It, it doesn't mean, matter it, how you got there. Right. It, true. I, I think the, if we're playing the odds here, the most likely scenario is going one and one, probably yep. winning that first game against Maryland, probably losing that second game to Michigan. It's a 10 seed. It's not something you're going to hang a banner over, anything like that. But at the same point in time, to your point, John, when you consider that you would either be on the 8-9 line, yeah, okay, that's a seed better, but you're playing one of by far the two best teams in college basketball, uh, should you even win the first game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're kind of marking, let's just be real, your, your tournament's over after that, barring a monster, one of the bigger upsets in yeah, yeah, a huge upset. Um, your season is done, which is fine. But I think if you are a ten seed, you feel real. You, you feel okay playing a seven. I mean, again, this team just beaten three top five teams in the mm-hmm. span of two weeks. I don't think they're going to be scared of anybody. Um, and then you play a two seed, and that two seed line mm-hmm. is looking a little bit more comfortable. Uh, well, certainly more comfortable than the one seed line, but like. Again, we talked about there's these different tiers. I think there's the tier of those top two. And then there's kind of like a chunk of the four from the Big Ten. And then there's this next little tier after that. And I think that what could end up working in MSU's favor if they were, you know, again, to beat the seven seed and end up in a match with a two seed 
they're probably playing someone that likes of like an Alabama or a Houston, because again, the same rationale you talked about with Michigan and Illinois on the one line, MSU's not gonna, they're going to do everything they can to keep a big 10 matchup from happening in the second round. Um, They're going to try to save those as long as they can. So if, I mean, listen, just ask yourself, would you rather be a nine seed? Okay, fun. Great. And play two, two juggernauts, one of two juggernauts or end up playing, you know, again, a program in Alabama and a program in Houston that look across the court and see, oh shit, that's Michigan State. Like you have the brand on them. You have the coach. You're going to have the better coach. Uh, you're going to probably have the better senior leadership. I mean, you know, there's something to be said for that type of matchup. And it, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. And honestly, it's a conversation that I'm just delighted to even be having in the first place. <laughs> totally. But um, it's, you know, these are the things you start thinking about at this time of the year. But B- Big Ten, just to put a bow on the on MSU's BTT. Uh, options here. I think, you know, we're sitting here a week ago. We're looking at this game, having a very different conversation, saying must you're going to need to win that game. And must. I don't think it's a must, but I think it would be disappointing. I think for anybody who's watched this team recently, if they were to lose uh, to Maryland again. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and but at the same time, I don't think. I think you would be happy to be disappointed at this point because I mean, like, listen, they're, they're going to get in who cares? I mean, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, like just get, keep that, make that from 22 to 23 seasons consecutively in the tournament. Um, and we're happy, but okay. So let's talk about um, the big 10 basketball tournament, the, the, the tournament as, as a whole, do you have, I just want to put you on the spot here. Who do you think, do you have a favorite? Do you have a dark horse? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Who do you, you think is going to win? You know what's so crazy is, for me, the the way you win the Big Ten tournament is you're able to win both in a physical game and a finesse game. Because the, the games will be called differently day to day. They just will. And or you're going to have at least one game being played you know, with no rules and you get weapons and another game where you're, you have to breathe when the referees say you can. So how, you know, how many teams can do both of those things? I don't think MSU can do both of those things. Um, that's okay. <laughs> at least they can do one. Uh, I, I think you, you look at Illinois and you say, can I, you know, can they get past when it gets personal? Can they win a, a tough game? There are very few teams that can rock fight as as well as MSU can. So even if they get a rock fight with, gosh, I, I can only think of maybe Purdue, where I would feel uncomfortable with Illinois winning a rock fight game. And they can win both ways. I like, that's why I like them a lot. Um, and, and, you know, we saw Michigan have a clunker two of the last three games, but they're still damn good. You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if they can win both ways, though. In a, the way I, I have so many questions without Eli Brooks right now. That, yeah, very that true. I don't know how they figure it out quite yet. And that might be something they don't figure out for the rest of the season, to be honest. But I certainly wouldn't expect them to figure it out in three games in three days. Um, no, it's awful do, late. In the, it's, it's real late in the season to ask you to take one of your seven, you know, one of your five starters, one of your seven players that plays significant minutes and, and figure something out, you know, to your point, I, I think it'd be surprising to see him play in the big 10 tournament. Cause I think this, they probably look at this and think, okay, it'd be a nice to have, but listen, we're locked into the one line and why would we risk this guy aggravating anything? So I, I would be a little surprised if they saw him this, this upcoming weekend. Yeah. And then I guess for, so my pick is, and I'll, then I'll, you know, I want you to hear your side, but my pick is Illinois uh, because I think Iowa is soft. And, but my dark horses are going to be whoever wins the, the Purdue-Ohio State game because Ohio State has come crashed down the stretch, but I do think that they've lost a lot of close games. Uh, and Kyle Young being back is going to be a game changer for them. But I also see Purdue as like a, this gritty, not awesome team that has Trevion Williams, who is a, you know the most underrated big man in college basketball. They have Zach Eady, a 7-4 guy, who's just a problem and becoming better every day. And then you have Stefanovic, who is 
capable of beating any team by himself by going hitting you know seven threes in a game they're just dangerous they're my dark horse i think that's where i'm netting out but how about you but you we should have talked about this before we recorded because you just <laughs> oh. stole my my exact line of logic on both ends um I definitely like Illinois as the favorite. I mean, I just I just think they're the best team. They have the most high-end talent. I mean, Michigan is probably a better coached team and more maybe yeah. more cohesive team, but Illinois has got two pros. I'm not sure how many pros Michigan has. Um, right. Illinois has got the best player in the conference. I mean, say what you want about Luka Garza. I think Io is – I would take him above any other player in the conference before, you know, without bat, batting an eyelash. So, I mean, when you have that guy, that's the type of dude who can win you these tournaments – um, in terms of the top four seeds, they got easily, easily, in my opinion, the best draw in terms of potential teams to play. I mean, when you look at it, Michigan's probably going to get Michigan State or, or I mean, I, you know, let's just do the assumption thing here. Michigan's probably going to get Michigan State. That's not going to be an easy game at the very least. They might win, but still uh, Purdue's going to probably get Ohio State. That's a brutal draw as a as a bye week team or a bye, a bye team. Uh, Iowa's probably going to get Wisconsin, a team that they just, you know, battled with all of one day ago. And then Illinois is going to get Indiana or Rutgers, a reeling Rutgers team and um, a not good Indiana team. So, I mean, that first game for them, they got easily the best draw. And then, honestly, I could see Wisconsin beating Iowa. It wouldn't surprise me at all. And then Illinois turns around. They end up playing, you know. Rutgers and Wisconsin to get to the final and then in the final I think they match up really well and we saw it they, they smacked Michigan without Io so that alone is a big deal for them uh, and now Michigan's probably down Eli Brooks so that even encourages that even more um, but I love your your thought process about Purdue Purdue is just like they're the team that's peaking at the right time first of all the fact that they got a top four seed over Ohio State I think says a lot um, about the way that they've come together I think they match up really well against Michigan. And I actually think they match up really well against Ohio state because of Trevion Williams, like again, you know, for Michigan and that, you know, in that game, because of Zach Eady emerging as a guy that can play alongside Williams, I don't know who's guarding him from Michigan's side. Like, is it Franz Wagner? Like, I mean, they don't have a, that's the, the only thing about them is they don't have a four. They can't really go big, big ball. And if Dickinson's going to have to check uh, Eady, and Edie, in, in turn, is going to be able to check Dickinson, at least bother him with his size. I think Purdue has a real advantage um, in the front court. It might not be enough. I mean, Michigan's still a really good team. But, um, yeah, I mean, Michigan's got questions to answer right now. Purdue is rolling. I think they can beat Ohio State. But, yeah, I mean, my my pick would be Illinois for sure right now. All right. But then that, that being said, I could see it going, obviously, many different ways. All right, last question. If there was a – Double digit seed to make it to this to the semis, who would your pick be? Oh, if, God. if I had to, I would probably say I'd take Penn State if I had to pick one of these, only because <laughs> like listen, they suck, but they only have to play Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Like I think anybody can beat this Wisconsin team right now. Yep. Um, and to be honest, I think Iowa, like, like you said, is a little bit soft. So what do you think? Yeah. I was looking at Penn state, but um, I, I, I wanted to pull the trigger on, on Indiana, but, the, but Archie has lost that team. Uh, so, I, but cause I do think Indiana is pretty bad, but they're not quite as bad as their record. And um, I don't know. If Indiana were to beat Rutgers and Illinois, they would be playing Iowa for a third time, most likely. And they had already beaten them twice in the semis and playing for their tournament lives all of a sudden again. I think that that's just an incredible storyline because Archie would essentially, is essentially coaching for his job, you'd think. Yeah, true. Um, for this tournament. So, yeah, I'm with you on Penn State, but I, I, I'm hoping for all the drama uh, in, in, this, in this Big Ten tournament. Don, bottom line is we get thursday 10 30 a.m central basketball Whew. what else could we be at <laughs> what, what else could we possibly ask for uh 10 30 oh yeah bright and early baby i'm excited um, um i have to make a blow yeah. something oh yeah yeah you know it might be a white claw time who knows don't tell my employer um 
I think that's everything, though, John. Was there anything else we wanted to cover? You know, we we did promise one football thing, and and I'll and I'll give it to you. Um, we'll cover this next week, uh, or when this happens in a couple of weeks. But spring practice does begin. Mm. We 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 preemptively pulled the trigger on it being football season, and it is. And the program's pro day will be Wednesday, March twenty fourth. And uh, Tucker's inviting, I believe, everyone who who didn't have a chance to do pro day the, the year before, which is a pretty cool gesture. Um, so. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and let you know who, if anyone uh, shows out and see uh, how confident you can be about MSU's 80-year NFL uh, NFL draft streak being kept alive. Um, yes. One streak at a time. We not kept the 2023-year 20, uh, NCAA tournament streak alive. So let's focus on that and celebrate it. I'm with you. I'm with you all the way. All right. Well, hey, let's have another fun weekend. Sound good? Hey, I'm, I'm in. Sure. Okay, great. All right, guys, as always, thanks for sticking with us. For John, this has been Austin. We'll talk to you next week. See you.